0: Train? Yeah, Jameson's robbing a train right now. <laughs> wow, that
1: microphone works really well. I'm outside because I'm enjoying the nice air right now, and yes, a train did go by. Oh, nice. Oh, cool. I like this atmosphere you've added to it. If you'd prefer, I step inside, I can not do that.
0: Um, If you could go to the airport, that'd
1: be great. <laughs> or, or, the, or the bathroom with the magic castle, whichever one works best. Yeah, exactly. That's true,
0: that's true. No, well, sorry,
1: sober, honey, I'm at the mechanic right now, can't you hear? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> there it is, mechanic sounds, gonna be home late, Mechanic
0: sounds, uh, <laughs> well, that checks out. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Alright, hello and welcome to Hollywood Haunted, the podcast. Hollywood's Haunted is is uh, made up of the tour guides, formerly from Hollywood's Haunted Tours in Hollywood, which is currently in a uh, sleepful rest. Not a death, just a hiatus uh, (laughs) at the moment. Um, Maybe we'll come back. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll be a podcast forever. Who knows? Anyways, we're having fun. Our hosts today are the wonderful former tour guide, and uh, all-around great guy, Jameson. Hello. Hello, Jameson. Thank you
0: for that intro. Very great. kind. Oh, that nice,
2: yeah. Uh, we also have with us my uh, co-host in life. Uh-
0: <laughs> <laughs> Aww, I'll take that. I, I Here, like
2: that. Uh, you know, he is my... Donnie to my Marie. Oh, wait. That that would be weird.
0: (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) Sonny to my share. That's hilarious.
2: He is not my Mormon brother, but he is. uh, He is my husband. Here we go. It's Patrick.
0: Hey. It was really good for a while. High fives to everybody. Then then, then it got weird. Yeah, Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And... Uh, Most importantly is the creator, co-creator of Hollywood's Haunted Tours and the beauty and the brains behind this podcast. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Um, The very wonderful me, Tia Bean. Yay.
0: The wonderful Wonderful me. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's for everybody listening, so you guys can feel involved, right? <laughs> the wonderful it. me. Uh, who's going first? Um, I'm gonna go first.
2: <laughs> I think you should go first. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um. But um. Yeah. Yeah. So today we're I'm I'm discussing the Doheny murders. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Dohenys. I all. have. I don't.
2: Gotten lost on Doheny Sm- Avenue Ooh, before. Doheny yeah, Drive. Yes. Doheny Drive. Sorry. Trying. What about
0: Doheny State Beach? Oh, yeah. Very. There you go. I lost collect, my virginity
2: yeah. at Doheny State Beach.
0: I know. Ooh. I know. I was watching. I know. It's no, but weird?
2: That's, <laughs> that's not true. I still haven't done that. So.
0: Lost your virginity or visited the beach?
1: Bucket list.
0: Bucket list. That's hilarious. Um, so the Do- the Doheny murders um, they happened in the uh, early nineteen hundreds. Um, but uh, before I get into that, we'll we'll discuss how the Dohenys came to be in Los Angeles. I guess. Um, And it starts with Edward Lawrence Doheny or um, E.L. Doheny is usually how he's referred to in, you know, in all these texts. Um, But also most people called him Ned. Is that
1: Spanish for El Doheny? El
0: Doheny. (laughs) The Doheny. Wait, what's
2: his full name again? Um,
0: His full name is Edward Lawrence Doheny, but most people called him Ned. Wait, um, which why? Was actually Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <Right? Yeah, laughs> Should have exactly. been Ed. Yeah, exactly. Um, right, right. right. It's just a bad pronunciation. He's like, I'm not going to correct them. Ned.
2: Ned is so- <laughs> someone else. Like, we've known
0: each other for too long.
2: It's like, yeah, Ned is someone else. It's like when my manager calls me, uh, what did he call me? Lauren the other day. And he's so <laughs> nice that I don't really want to correct him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he even he did have a son named Ned, so maybe maybe it was just you know foreshadowing for his life. Um but okay. uh, <laughs> he was, uh, yeah, son of Irish immigrants that moved to the states, um, spent most of his time in um, the west searching for gold and precious metals. Um, but uh, by eighteen ninety two, he was in his late thirties, uh, basically uh, completely broke at this point, and his daughter was uh, terminally ill, um, and his 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 marriage was also not going well because he was so broke and he couldn't pay for any of the medication for the family or for his daughter, and yet she actually does die that same year. Well. Um, unfortunately, uh, not unfortunately, sorry. Uh, fortunately later that fall, he actually strikes, uh, gold, but this is liquid gold. Um, oh. th- what? Th- threw you through, threw you for a little loop there, didn't I? Hang on. Uh, Hang good. on. <laughs>
1: Enter the Beverly Hills Hillbilly music. <laughs> oh. Oh, oh, ding, 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 Oh, I get it
2: now. I was Black like, gold. I was like, wait, Liquid what? gold. I was
0: like, Edward knew how to melt gold, <laughs> and then he would spin it on a spinning wheel. I was wheel. like, is this
2: some, like, new energy drink? He or... got the Midas touch. <laughs> like, what is happening? Yeah.
0: Um, but no, he was, um, he, he struck his first oil well in, in Los Angeles, and this was where the uh, tar fields Tar Uh, pits? Yeah, well, the tar pits is now what it's called, but back then it was the tar fields. I think it's it's pits. You're pits. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) He, um, later later, uh, that um, same year, on November 6th, 1893, he, I'm sorry, his wife gave birth to a son um, also known as E.L. Doheny, Edward Lawrence Doheny Jr., but he was also known to the family as Ned. <laughs> so okay. they're just passing down this Ned name, and no one deserved it. Uh, <laughs> Ned is dead. A lot of people <laughs> uh, through this different articles I read. Uh, by the way, this is from KCET, Los Angeles, uh, and a couple of the Wikipedia, and then the Los Angeles Public Library is where I got most of my information. Um, but I l- read a few different articles, the LA Times had one, the New Yorker had one, um, and most of them talk about Edward as being a very, very proud that he had this second chance at life and he wanted to make sure that everything was secure for his family. Over the next couple decades, he became one of the most wealthiest people in the world. Um, he was controlling most of the oil markets in California, and then he started controlling all of the oil wells in Tampico, Mexico, which was huge. Uh, there was a big oil fields down there. Um, so yeah, at this point he was one of the richest people in the world. Unfortunately, because of all of this work, he had to live apart from his wife, Carrie and his son, uh, Edward Jr. or Ned. Um, so they were actually living in San Francisco at the time. This kind of drove a lot uh, on the marriage, so unfortunately, they divorced in 1899. He then remarried a woman named Estelle Betzold, who was a telephone operator <laughs> whom, whom he had fallen in love with over the phone lines.
2: That was like a thing back then is like you would call the operator and like you could just stay on the phone with them.
0: It would, could, uh, and sometimes you'd recognize the yeah. same person. I'm sure. True too. story:
2: Some guy tried to hit on me over the phone while I was a host at Hard Rock Cafe. Uh, he was like, "Had nothing to ask for," and they made us answer the phone. Uh, Hi, that you've reached Hard Rock Cafe on Hollywood Boulevard. How may I rock rock your world? Like that is not an appropriate way for a woman to be answering the phone. I'm sorry. Uh, because that leads, led to so many inappropriate jokes I had to deal with. Uh, and yeah, one guy tried to be like, you sound attractive. And I was like, is there anything about the restaurant that I can answer for you? (laughs) And he's like, no, not really. I was like, okay, well I'm getting off the phone now. Goodbye.
0: You sound attractive. That's hilarious. You
2: sound like you have a pretty mouth there.
1: (laughs) And you sound like Bon Jovi. Goodbye.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) He shows up to the restaurant later. He's blind. (laughs) <laughs> looking for the woman who sounded attractive shh, shh. <laughs> unbelievable um, that's hilarious um, so yeah like I said uh, so he falls in love with this other woman uh, pretty quickly after he's divorced uh, over the phone lines she's a telephone operator um, Carrie was apparently, uh, fra- very fragile about the divorce. Um, I mean, she was, it's a divorce, you know, of it's course. the
2: 1890s. It's going to like ruin your entire reputation. Especially,
0: and, like, especially, you know, when you're in your later years, which in the thirties was your later years. Yeah. And um, like
2: men could marry again, especially a rich man who struck oil, but women not right? so much. Yeah.
0: And who knows? Yeah. She didn't probably get any money <clears throat> from this divorce.
2: Yeah, you know that probably well, wasn't a thing. Maybe back she then. did, you know, but
0: I should have looked into that. Yeah, I'm gonna edit that out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I said, she was uh, definitely upset about finding uh, finding out about it. So she killed herself by ingesting battery acid. Oh my god, uh. that is fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> like how do you even ingest battery acid? Like. I don't... You know what I mean? There's so many
1: questions to that story. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's Well,
0: who knows what
2: batteries were like in the 1890s, too. And where did
0: she get a battery? Yeah, that must have been, like, one of the first batteries. No,
2: batteries have been around since the Egyptian times.
0: That's true, but I'm saying, like, battery acid, like...
2: Echo, when were batteries invented?
1: Battery is something that was invented in 1800. (laughs) 1800?
0: That's not the Egyptians.
2: No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? Echo.
2: Echo. What is a Baghdad battery?
0: That was Iran, wasn't According it? According
3: to Wikipedia, the Baghdad battery, or Parthian battery, is a set of three artifacts which were found together. A ceramic pot, a tube of copper, and a rod of iron. It was discovered in modern Pujit Rabu, Iraq close to the metropolis okay. of, the of the capital no I'm saying I know that exists okay, okay. but I'm saying but battery I'm just, acid just,
0: like that, sure. that seems like something that would be hard to get a hold of at any time right you know, there was like, no even, auto
1: zone in 1899 well yeah. that's what I'm saying oh, okay. yeah exactly that,
0: yeah that was my point yeah I wasn't trying to like argue um so uh, <laughs> So, um. It's <laughs> like all
1: the ways to do it, too. It's like, you know, you could have stabbed yeah, well, yourself. That's what I'm saying. Yourself. Yeah,
0: that seems like a very extreme way. Was that something they had talked do. about or something before? Well, maybe. Like,
2: honestly, in the moment, maybe it was just something she had at hand. That's, you true. know. That's fucked up, but
0: that's true. <clears> yeah. Right? That's probably a good point. You know. So, um, so Ned, uh, obviously, after this happened, Ned uh, came to live with uh, his dad and Estelle, his stepmom now. Um, but apparently Estelle was a really good mom to him and Ned cherished her very much. Um, he grew up very spoiled, um, but he was still a very funny, um, funny guy, you know, that was, you know, he was still a good person, you know, because of probably Estelle. Um, while in 1913, while actually dating his future wife, Lucy Smith, he met a man named Theodore Hugh Plunkett. Um, Hugh was a. He worked at the Smith family's gas station, um, but um, they actually became good friends, and then Hugh became one of the Doheny's many servants. He was a chauffeur to the Doheny family. Both of them actually together served in the Great War. Um, when they returned from the war, Hugh was Ned's personal secretary. And he began traveling with him and got more and more involved in fa- uh, his father's business. Uh, according to Frederick R. Kellogg, who was the um, attorney for the Doheny family, um, he said that although Hugh acted as a secretary to Ned, their relationship was that was more than that of friends. Wait! <laughs> <laughs> B- Wait! W- w- nudge! Nudge! He, it also says they were like brothers, but, you know... So, yeah, they were uh, very close, um, but um, they... They, um, you know, were very different as far as um, their status. Um, Hugh was a servant still. Um, he Even though he worked for the family, he didn't, you know, he wasn't a Doheny. He didn't make the money that they did. Um, so, but they... So... You know Doheny's uh lived in uh <clears throat> Chester Place Castle, and Hugh and his wife Harriet. They had their you know modest accommodations. They weren't poor for sure, um but there was definitely a big separation um the younger Dohenys were kind of your Paris Hiltons and Kardashians, I guess of nowadays, like they were like. They were the elite they were stars, super
2: successful at what they do, and lovable, and we love them so much. No,
0: that's true. But <laughs> but they were also in the night scene a yeah. lot, and oh, okay. they were they're okay. extremely wealthy, so people are constantly talking about them because they're showing up to these lavish parties, and of course, hosting a la- uh, lavish parties as well. Um,
2: so if I ever time travel, I need to make
0: friends with yes with, um, with
2: the girly boh do-
0: uh, definitely. Um, they're Exploits were often lead story on society pages, uh, sometime while they were sailing on the family yacht, the Cassiana. Uh, so yeah, you definitely want to hang out with them. Oh, uh, yeah. Or attending dinner at a table that glowed with a handsome mound of Richmond roses. Which I don't know what that means, but it sounds like Just nice.
2: think fancy roses. Right? yeah.
0: That is. Here is your hot dog, a piled upon a round rose. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. $60,
3: bucks,
0: but okay. Um, in 1919, a car that Ned purchased for his wife Lucy at the time uh, was very newsworthy. It was described as the classiest creation of the year. Uh, custom designed by Earl Automobile Works. Uh, I'll just kind of read a little, little detail on the car. Uh, Wait, sil- what was, hold on,
2: what was that guy's name? Sorry to interrupt you.
0: That's okay. What
2: was his name? Earl, Earl Earl
0: Earl Automobile Works. That's the that's the design that's the company. Oh
2: yeah. okay. I was like, what <laughs> is this guy's name? Seriously?
0: <laughs> you named your kid Automobile? Yeah, right.
2: Like good. My name's thing you...
0: Earl Works. <laughs> and his middle name's, middle name's Auto... <laughs> Automobile.
2: Like good thing he went into cars. <laughs> right? right. That's
0: hilarious. <laughs> I fucking hate cars. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be a dentist I boy. wanted to be a dentist oh my that's gosh. hilarious um, but yeah here's a little description <laughs> on the car uh, a silver engraved monogram inlaid in red enamel is mounted on each door on the panel between the door over the little extra fender are specially designed coach lamps these lamps were designed and constructed by the Tiffany company in New York City these lamps were give the car a very foreign touch the car is upholstered in a bright, long-grain red leather which forms a great contrast with the body and wheels which are painted Wiley's Battleship Gray with a satin finish. Mm. There
2: are Tiffany lamps mm-hmm. on this car.
0: Tiffany lay. Like, isn't that ridiculous? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Right. That would get jacked right off your car nowadays.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> they stole my lamps! <laughs> <laughs> Damn it.
0: So, everything was uh, apparently... Amazing for the Doheny family at this time. They were super, super rich. Um, Unfortunately, in November 1921, Ned and Hugh uh, checked into a suite at the Plaza Hotel. On the 30th, Ned walked into a New York banking house of Blair & Company. He then withdrew $100,000 from a bank account that he shared with his wife at the time and put the bills in a small black bag. He and his friend Hugh, which we were discussing earlier, then went to travel... Uh, traveled to Washington, D.C., where they met Albert Fall, who was the Secretary of the Interior of the Warren Harding administration. Uh, one which uh, the Dohenys uh, almost... Almost completely funded uh, uh-huh. th- them becoming president. Um, and this was at the Wardman Park Hotel. Now, so Ned handed over the money to Fall, and... He told him that it was, uh, he told Ned, his son, Edward told Ned to do this. So he told Ned that he was a friend of his from the mining days. They were friends from when they used to mine gold. Um, so Fall handed uh, Ned a promissory note. And within a month, Edward Doheny Sr. Senior, uh, senior had put $100,000 back into Ned's account. So this was something that Ned was just doing for dad. He was just, dad told him, hey, I need you to pay a friend of mine $100,000. I'll put money back into your account. So he did. Right. Um, unfortunately, Ned had no idea what Albert Fall was, was in charge of. Um, Edward Doheny was soon awarded the contract for the Elks Hill Naval Petroleum Reserve in Kern County, California. Um, so the exchange of money, which Doheny, uh, called a loan to an old friend, uh, turned into the infamous teapot dome scandal. Um, uh-huh. because, you know, everybody called this a bribe, which, which it was, um, no,
1: it wasn't, it was a loan.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and, and There's my, fr- a- and my friend just gave me the rights to this incredibly rich oil field.
2: <laughs> doing what? What daddy told me to
0: do, Right. Yeah. And it sucks, because, yeah, that's really what he was doing. He was like, oh, Dad wants me to give someone $100,000? Okay, cool. I truly think Dad that's... Gives, Dad gave me a car last week, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I truly
2: think uh... that's what, like, Trump kids are like. Oh, totally. Yeah, I, like...
0: I, I, I buy that, yeah. Yeah.
2: Like, I'm just doing what Daddy said, you know? Right.
0: But they don't it was really... a bar mitzvah gift, yo. <laughs> so, in 1924, Albert Fall, uh, who received the money and gave the rights... Um, Harry Sinclair and E.L. were, I'm sorry, Edward Lawrence, were charged with conspiracy to defraud the United States. Uh, Ned was, um, supposed, he was actually called to testify. He refused to answer any questions regarding his role in the delivery. Although he did testify that neither he nor his father had done anything wrong. Um, but he just didn't talk about the exchange. Probably because the lawyers said, don't say shit.
2: Yeah. I love how they're always <laughs> like, well, we didn't do anything wrong. It's like, you're not the one to decide that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know? and I was just handing over money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Edward is acquitted because he's super rich and powerful. And December 1926, uh, this is with Estelle, Ned, and Lucy by his side. And that's his wife and his son and daughter, or son and his wife. Um, and they basically vouch for him. Um, after (laughs) endless political duels in Washington, he was eventually charged again and it was with, for bribery, which he was apparently very guilty of. Um, uh, during all of this scandal, uh, Edward decided to give Ned and Lucy a present. Uh, a lot of people thought this was because, Ned and Lucy were vouching for dad. You know, they were kind of... They were the reason that he was basically let go. Um, So a lot of people think that this is why he gifted them the Greystone Mansion. Um, Uh, Built on 429 acres overlooking uh, Beverly Hills. It was designed by Gordon Kaufman, who is probably best known as designing the Hoover Dam or the uh. Los Angeles Times Building. Uh mm. started construction in 1927, 55 rooms, bowling alley, hidden bar, walls made of leaded glass, a main hall of checkered Carrara marble, personal switchboard, secret passageways, grand rooms filled with European antiques. Uh, it also included an 80-foot waterfall um stables riding trails swimming pool kennel renaissance inspired cypress lane was designed by architect paul theen um yeah according according to the main designer they were told the sky was the limit
2: mm. <laughs> yeah bare necessities wow. here
3: <laughs>
0: i would ask mr theen what the client might want give them everything was the reply it was Ned and Lucy's home, uh, but apparently the person in charge of all this construction was Hugh, the family servant, basically, who was mm-hmm. Ned's you know best friend. Um, Ned was also... Uh, sorry, Hugh was also a part of the Teapot Dome scandal because he was there when the exchange happened. Um, and Hugh also was the person running the company, basically. He was signing checks for Edward Lawrence, mm-hmm. he was he was just the guy. He was the guy you'd go to to get everything done. Fortunately, would, that might have made him also the fall guy.
2: Would it be too much to ask? Because I don't know what the Teapot Dome scandal was. It'd be too much to ask for you like sum that up in.
0: Um, it's kind of what I'm talking about. The Teapot Dome scandal was the bribe. It was, um, the government found out that, he, that Edward Lawrence gave Albert Fall, the secretary, the oh, okay. treasury secretary, a hundred thousand dollars. And then Albert Fall decides to give Edward Lawrence the rights to the Elks Naval Petroleum Reserve, which was, everyone knew it was rich with oil. And they called it the teapot dome because that's what the oil reserves looked like. It looked like a teapot. Uh, when when it was uh, analyzed, so everybody knew that it was tons and tons of oil, because it was like a bulging teapot. That's what it looked like, uh, the teapot dome. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm.
2: I'm pour myself a cup of tea now.
1: And two locations in California, it says too, but uh, it was to to private oil companies at low rates without competitive bidding. So, they didn't even give anybody else a shot at it. They just immediately gave it to those guys, so...
0: Yeah, that which is fishy. Yeah.
1: I'm, sure that, I'm
0: sure that set off alarms. Yeah. Um, da, 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 where was I? Oh, yeah, so yeah, like I said, Hugh was in charge of the construction of the Greystone Mansion, which, you know, this the, the, a lot of the articles that I read, specifically this, uh, the KCET one, which I got a lot of my information from, um, they were kind of... Uh, Trying to give the reader, I guess, like an idea of why Hugh might have been upset, you know, to pull, to kill his friend and then kill himself. Hugh is uh, very upset that, you know, he's having to oversee the construction of a giant mansion that he's not going to live in. A giant mansion. Giant, giant mansion. So in the fall of 1928, the mansion is almost complete. Um, A lot of people report that Hugh is beginning to unravel. Uh, It's reported that he was having um, dental issues. He had teeth that were very sore. Um, He also was uh, taking a lot of sleeping pills and other pills. Uh, His 11-year marriage was breaking down due to unknown problems. Um, But yeah, like I said, that um, they were... Different, you know, Hugh didn't have the backup of the Doheny family, you know, like, uh, financially. He's Um, just
2: the secretary. Exactly, yeah. yeah.
0: And so when uh, they were called, when Ned and Hugh were both called to testify for the upcoming bribery uh, trials, uh, Ned was assured immunity Mm -hmm. because of, uh, you know, because of his dad or whatever. Um, But Hugh was not. So this was another reason that, you know, Hugh was really nervous and upset was because, you know, he, he's going to be asked what happened, you know, and mm-hmm. he's going to have to either lie or not, you know, or whatever. Um, while this is going on, the Dohenies move into the mansion, uh, right before Thanksgiving. Uh, they're having a great time. The Christmas rolls around. They have a 30 foot Christmas tree. um, Right, yeah. It was a tiny one for them, yeah. It was just, just a small Christmas that year. Jesus um, They hosted a party featuring 100 couples dancing to Christmas songs played by an orchestra sitting in a special gallery above the ballroom. Um, on Christmas Eve, Hugh apparently suffers a complete nervous breakdown, and he was put in the care of the Doheny family doctor, Dr. Ernest Clyde Fishbach. That's F-I-S-H-B-A-U-G-H, so... Fishbach? Is that Fishbach? Fishbach. Sure, sounds right. I don't know. Fishbach. I swear I've heard this name before. Sounds right. right? That Uh, sounds right. So by (laughs) by February, uh, the Doheny family claimed that Hugh was just completely off kilter. He was completely lost it. Um, Doctor Fishbach on February sixteenth. And Ned and Lucy confront Hugh at the Greystone Mansion. And they it's a intervention, basically. They try to get him help. They try to get him to go to visit a sanitarium for a quote-unquote rest.
1: <laughs> uh, In
2: complimentary lobotomy. Right, yeah.
0: Um, we got this course... really great
2: sweater for you. It's called a
1: straitjacket.
0: <laughs> But, of course, in the back of his head is uh, is this, you know, are you guys trying to really get me help? Am I actually crazy? Uh, or, or are you just trying to get me exempt from testifying at the trial that's coming
1: up? Oh, yeah. plead insanity,
0: right? Exactly. Or both. You know, who knows? Yeah. Um, whatever the case, uh, Hugh completely refused. Um, he simply sat there, almost shaking at times, hands clenched, jaws set at times, He said he would come out of it all right. I could see it was no use to push him further, so I left. Um, And that was coming from Dr. Fishbaugh. According to the official story, on the evening of February 16th, Ned and Lucy went to go and visit Hugh at his apartment. And this was, again, another intervention trying to get him to get help. During the visit... Ned apparently made some impulsive remarks that made Hugh angry, so Ned and Lucy left, and they went to the theater. When they returned to the Greystone Mansion, as they were getting ready for bed, Hugh called. He was actually at the gates, uh, the garage gates of Greystone Mansion, and he said he wanted to come in. Lucy was trying to get him not to, so a while later, Hugh let himself into the main house with his pass key. Which is funny, because I don't know why he was asking to get in. Mm. Uh, Ned found him in the guest bedroom that he often slept in, and sat down and talked with him. He was obviously troubled. He was just trying to be a good friend. Mm. Uh, An hour or so passed by, and the two men had drinks, smoked some cigarettes, and Lucy was just in a different part of the house, so she had no idea. Um, According to Dr. Fishbaugh, uh, I received a call at the Hollywood Playhouse from my maid at 10.30 p.m. and was told to go to the Doheny home immediately. Upon my arrival there, one of the watchmen, whose name I do not know, let me in the house. As I entered, Mrs. Doheny was standing in the middle hallway approximately eight feet back from the door and greeted me. She said her husband was in a guest room on the first floor to the left of the hall leading from the entrance. Both Mrs. Doheny and I started down the hall side by side. A door which partitions the hall was slightly ajar, and I saw Plunkett walking toward it. You stay out of here, he shouted. Uh, Plunkett, Hugh Plunkett is the uh, Plunkett. Uh, you stay out of here, he shouted at me and slammed the door shut. I then heard a shot. You go back, I told Mrs. Doheny, and she returned to the living room, which was about 75 feet away from the guest room. I pushed the door open and saw Plunkett lying on his face opposite the door to the bedroom, where I later found Mr. Doheny. Plunkett, to the best of my recollection, was fully clothed. The door to the bedroom was open, and when I looked in, I saw Mr. Doheny lying on his back, Chair overturned between him and the bed. Both men had been shot in the head and were dead. So, <clears throat> it looks like Hugh came in, shot Ned in the head, and then shot himself. That's that's the official the story. The old murder, suicide. That's the official story. Yeah.
2: According to the two witnesses.
0: Right, yeah. Um... El Doheny, Edward Sr., was awoken at his home at Chester Place and rushed to the scene. Uh, when he uh, arrived, he everybody told him, you know, stay, you should stay, you don't want to see this. And he said, no, I must see Ned. Uh, he walked in and he, you know, wanted to. And he's like, yes, it is Ned after all. I had hoped against hope there was some mistake. Um, he then... Uh, walked over to Hugh, you know which you know which, court which at this point was uh, his son's murderer, I guess, uh, according to him, or the scene, I guess, um, and he just shook his head apparently, and then just kept saying Ned, my Ned, and was crying.
1: So you're saying that he shows up despondent, they go into talking, they the doctor gets called to for whatever reason he shows up and as he's approaching the room, he slams the door. Here he hears two shots yes. and then walks in and they're both dead. Yep. Okay.
0: So, and this was just according to his statement, this is his testimony. no other testimony, you know, or evidence really just knows for sure that he was there witnessing that besides the fact that he was called there. Uh, and this is also back when they really couldn't trace a call like that either. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So the media kind of played this off as a, you know, um, a troubled friend, you know, lot, you know, basically everybody thought of this as a murder suicide. Even the, uh, forensic investigators, uh, did at the time. However, the third friend, forensic investigator, Leslie White uh, doubted the story. Uh, while photographing and processing the scene, White found a smoldering cigarette in Hugh's fingertips, which would be a curious thing for a man who had just killed his best friend in a fit of madness um, to have in your hand. Which makes sense. And then, he, of course, was about to kill himself and still had the lit cigarette. Um, the gun used to, in the murder lay underneath Hugh's body. And it was very warm, as if someone had heated it in the oven. Mm. Which is, I don't understand that, yeah. But that, I, I guess to make it seem like it was the murder happened right then. Yeah. Uh, right. Dr. Fishbaugh, the main mouthpiece for the Doheny family. And that's, main mouthpiece, that's definitely mentioned a few times. Because uh, like I said, this is just his testimony. So they, the Doheny family was like, look, this is what happened.
1: any questions it'll be from Dr. Fishbaum
0: right yeah exactly Um, apparently he was caught in several lies including withholding the fact that Ned had actually been alive when the doctor came into the room breathing although already unconscious White also observed that it appeared that Ned had been shot at a very close range while it seemed that Hugh had not which doesn't make sense because Hugh shot himself in the head so yeah, how could he do that from far away (laughs) you know (laughs) right um so this kind of unfortunately gets swept away into history uh ned has a a big funeral and plunkett's funeral is uh, a little a little bit smaller of course um and there's still a lot of um conspiracies as to whether or not you know It was a political hit job, you know, maybe Hugh really was just upset with all, because like I said, there was a lot of, you know, people setting it up as if, you know, that he really was just like kind of over living a shitty life and constantly being a servant to this rich family and stuff. But also there's the whole theory, too, that exists that they were lovers and they were intimate uh, war buddies and all that other stuff, you know, and then. There's a yeah. There's a lot of uh, awkward things that makes makes more sense that they were very intimate or, very, or at least cared for each other a lot. You know, yeah. so when that happens, you know, different, you know, different things can occur, uh, or e- even murder. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> after the huge explosion and uh, all the local papers. All reporting on the murder ceased within about three days.
1: Wait, what huge explosion?
0: Uh, of, the, of the coverage of the... It, oh, I it was, see. Sorry, sorry. See. <laughs> it was an expression. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, there was... A, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, Not a literal the, explosion. After Not. the coverage in local papers, uh, all reporting ceased within three days. And this mm-hmm. was after promising a sweeping investigation, in quotes, by District Attorney Bureon Fitz.
2: So someone silenced somebody
0: old, uh, uh, Edward Lawrence was acquitted of his bribery charge. Um, rumors of a love affair between the two men and a cover up and bribery, you know, still lingers around to this day. Um, what, but what, what transpired in the bedroom of the mansion, you know, will never unfortunately be solved. And we just have to remember that two men are dead. You know, like, whether or not it's uh, a conspiracy or not, you know. It was definitely an unfortunate thing to happen. Uh, The Doheny Mansion, later on, after um, the family left, it was uh, the city purchased it. And it's now a public park, um, mostly used for private functions, um, even films and stuff like that. Um, The Holiday was filmed there, The Bodyguard... The Witches of Eastwick, um, oh, which is definitely a favorite of mine. And yeah. it, it, you don't like The Witches of Eastwick? No, yeah, Boy, no, that's
2: okay. okay. Judge me.
0: Yeah, I Judge. she doesn't like Cher. I love. I love. <laughs> don't even, don't she's even play like. It off. She's don't like bef- before it. we before, before we post this. I
2: love that. share so much. <laughs> don't
0: even, <care. laughs> don't then you even start. Believe in the witches of Eastwick. (laughs) Please do
2: that all the time. (laughs) That impression all the time.
0: Um, The last, the last. (laughs) Needs more auto-tune next time. (laughs) Thank you, yeah. (laughs) Um, The last uh, film that I wanted to mention that was filmed there was uh, There Will Be Blood, which was actually based on Upton Sinclair's novel in 1927, which was called Oil. Which was pretty much based on Doheny's rise to power. Interesting. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's even the bad stuff. Um, if If you've ever seen There Will Be Blood... It's a fucked up movie, but it's so good. Oh, I was just thinking,
1: you know, you were talking about the different things that are in the house, and you said a bowling alley, and I'm sure that's where that whole scene is.
0: I
2: am down to watch it, though. I didn't know it was about, like, Hollywood history and stuff. Like, you just put
0: Hollywood (laughs) Hollywood
2: history or ghosts or that in the title, and I'm totally there, so... (laughs)
0: Well, well, it's definitely, like, a history on, like, yeah, like, the oil explosion, you know, and, like, how we... (sighs) There's so many, yeah, there's so many things we still don't know about the, like, not, not, not know, but we still kind of handle haphazardly digging oil, you know, I mean. Sure. Or getting energy in general. We're still getting lost in mines and fracking and killing things. And you know what I mean? Like, but back then we had such limited tools. You're not
2: into clean coal, Pat?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, but yeah, like, yeah, back then, like, such limited amount of equipment. yeah. Like, to actually handle that. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, now I run where you watch that. That was so good. We can
2: watch that if you want to
0: watch it. It's got three hours.
1: Homework
2: for our listeners. Watch
1: And I now you can, can find it. out where the, the term I drink your milkshake comes from.
0: Uh, <laughs>
2: uh what? <laughs> no, I
0: forgot about that. Oh, do I want to
2: know? Is this, like... Oh,
0: my God. No, it's just
1: a famous line from the movie. Yeah, it's a good one,
2: though.
1: Is... Does... That's nothing to do with the song. Yeah. <laughs>
2: nothing yeah. oh, okay nothing to do it's, with the fact it's, that there's nothing he sexual or lovers no. or anything like that no
1: there's nothing sexual about it it's just a super intense scene where he's yelling at this this uh, the, at the kid he's not really a kid but he's a young guy and he's just screaming in his face and he yells that i drank your milkshake <laughs> right up it's so good yeah
0: I'm going to
2: yeah. assume that that makes sense in context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take your word for that one there. <laughs> oh, my
1: goodness. Yeah. He's, he's awesome. in it. I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis is super intense in it. And, oh, yeah. You know, he, just, he, go, he goes the full nine in it. It's, it's pretty awesome. Cool. Nice. Well, well, that's cool yeah, that's how that wrapped up story. everything. I mean, it, it's definitely interesting to see, you know, all the different scenarios that could have happened and why they would have happened, whether it was over, you know, being forced to go to an asylum or if it's you know, you need to, you need to take the blame on this or, you know, if it was really honestly, I love you. Why can't I marry you? Kind of situation. <laughs> why can't I live here?
0: Yeah. You know, like, right. Yeah. Like, or, and, and like he had fallen out of his, his marriage was obviously not going well at the time yeah. too. So yeah, a lot and of he people designed like, it's the because, whole place because you're fucking in love with Ned. You're yeah. constantly around him. Yeah. But like
2: he designed the whole place and couldn't even live there right. and, or be with the guy he loves and, also his tooth hurts real bad and, like, <laughs>
0: his tooth hurts really bad. <laughs> I don't know. I don't,
2: I don't know if I could had, just kill someone. I don't know if you've had chronic pain but it fucking fucks with no, your head. No,
0: no, I've had toothaches that make me want to kill a doheny or two. <laughs> <laughs> if that's all it takes.
1: All
0: right. It's
2: <laughs> gonna be over here. It's yeah. definitely
1: not a rich. It's funny because for being one of the richest families in LA, that's not a name that's kind of associated with Hollywood or Los Angeles. Besides, like,
0: the, yeah, the street and the beach. Like, the only reason I re- remembered the beach was because I fucking looked this up a couple days ago. I was like, oh, that's right, Doheny State Beach. What, is that
1: on uh, the PCH or something?
0: Yeah. It's okay. A, it's a, It's further up, but yeah.
1: But yeah, I mean there's there's it's not like the Rockefellers or something like that where it's a name where you instantaneously know, you know, that, that that's that's a rich family and oh my god, the Vanderbilts or something like that, you know. It's, it's funny too because
0: um, they're compared to the because 'cause they're the Rockefellers were the only other family out there at the time that was doing the oil. Sure. Um so yeah, they're definitely compared to them a lot.
1: And was there any family after the son? Was it just the, the one son and that was it? He died and They didn't have, he didn't have children or anything?
0: Um, I think they did have children, um, but they, yeah, there was, uh, they're, yeah, they're, they're out of the mansion, they're not doing like Doheny business, I don't think, but they must, they must own, uh, rights or something to those oil fuels.
1: Yeah, I wonder where, I wonder where that family money is now, like, you know, what the family turned into? Yeah, that's like billion.
0: Get
2: your twenty-three and Me kits out, guys. <laughs>
0: right? <yeah. laughs> I could. I'm
1: down to be. Fingers beating. crossed. Yeah. Hey, 20, I don't know. Chance.
2: My my grandmother walked across the Mexican border into Southern California in 1927, uh, and moved to Hollywood. So who knows? Who knows?
0: Yeah, it's true. There you go. You know. There you go.
2: I could. I could be a. I could be a Doheny. Mm-hmm.
1: Could be. Nice. Well, I, I'd say that um, our our two people are kind of, I don't want to say connected, but definitely we're, I'm sure, aware of each other because uh, uh, two powerful men in Los Angeles, you know, um, your guy controlled oil, my guy controlled water. Right. So, uh, I'm sure they ran in similar circles. They probably <laughs> met a few times here and Roxana's there. is but-
2: doing the sex Uh, Circle stick. (laughs) No, there was no gay sex
1: in my story, unfortunately. (laughs) No. Uh, No no chauffeurs. Nothing fancy. Um, My guy kind of had a movie made after him called Chinatown. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. Which I'd like to watch again. I've seen it before, but, you know, living in LA, knowing LA as I do now, as opposed to when I watched the movie. Um, and knowing what the characters are supposed to represent Would be interesting to go back and watch So I think um, I will be watching that movie again Just to kind of see how it, uh, pieces of my story Fit in with that movie um, But I'm going to tell you guys a story About William Mulholland um, I also did some research By watching Mulholland Drive uh, By David Lynch And found out that nothing in that movie Has anything to do with my story I was about to say I was like yeah I didn't help Huh
2: Thank you for watching
1: that, though. <laughs> oh my God, no! I, that movie is just unbelievable. I, 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 it's insane watching a David Lynch movie, and that that's probably the creme de la creme of insane movies from him. So, uh, but yeah, so uh, William um, uh, born September eleventh, eighteen fifty-five, and uh, he was born over in Belfast, uh, Ireland. So uh, he was not an American citizen, um, but. Uh, Growing up in Belfast, uh, went to college, came back with a a really shitty report card, and was uh, subsequently beaten by his father for poor grades. Uh, William was not having that, and uh, ran away, and joined uh, the uh, Navy um, at 15, the British Merchant Navy at 15. Um, He went back and forth across the ocean uh, to the United States numerous times, and uh, decided at one time to just stay in New York. Um, and, uh, moved to Michigan. Um, he worked in a lumber camp there for a while. He almost lost a leg in a logging accident. Um, and, uh, then he moved to Ohio and, um, with, uh, basically moved back. I'm sorry. Uh, hit on a ship, uh, I guess leaving Ohio. I'm I'm not sure. They didn't really kind of say that, but him and his brother hit on a ship and, um, they were discovered down in Panama. Um, so they kicked him off the ship uh, in Panama, and him and his brother had to walk um, 47 miles through the jungle uh, to Balboa, Panama yeah. to catch another ship. Uh, so they both get on, um, they get on another ship. They, they get to Los Angeles and uh, arrive in 1877, and uh, he kind of uh, starts looking for uh, odd jobs, and it finally lands him at a water distributor uh, for the L.A. City Water Company. Um, he works his way up. He's gets, you know, positions in, um, uh, uh, like in the job itself. He's, he's kind of working his way through it. He actually lays the first iron pipeline for water in 1880. Um, wow. and, uh, I, I will say that, um, he is, uh, by all accounts from what I understand, he was a self-taught engineer. Um, he had no formal education that I, that I found, um, and, and just, every article would say that he was self-taught. And that's kind which of an, is totally kind of an important a thing. thing.
2: You should totally um, teach yourself engineering.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's <laughs> something that you can totally trust. Like, dude, I learned this on the Internet. I'll be fine. I watch YouTube.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know? <laughs> uh, so he works for the L.A. City Water Company for a while. Um, in 1886, he becomes a U.S. citizen. Um, and in 1902, uh, he becomes the superintendent of the LA water department. Um, the LA city water company, uh, the, the city decides to end their contract with them and, uh, they, they start the LA water department and eventually that gets fused with the LA water and power. So they, they kind of become like a mega company. Um, but he, he's kind of there at the beginning of all this. Um, in 1911, he becomes the chief engineer of the LA water department. So, obviously, if you live in Los Angeles, you, you've heard of Mulholland Drive. Um, most people may not know what he's famous for, but uh, in essence, he is kind of the reason for the city being what it is today. Um, the L.A. River was a thing, is a thing still. If people don't know. It's that ugly uh, concrete ditch that has a stream of water going through it. That
2: little trickle
1: <laughs> of water. A little trickle of water, can I just
2: say, Mulholland um, Drive is where, yeah. when I used to get mad at my ex, I would drive around Mulholland Drive angrily, uh, which is, like, not a good idea, oh, because it's super, car. Yeah. super dangerous. Uh, yeah, that's but Kevin be Hart
1: like, drove off, right? He just cr- he crashed his car a couple of months ago, right? Who did? Kevin Hart.
2: Oh. Oh.
1: I didn't Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was on Mulholland Drive, and that's when his car drove off the side. With that. He, he was well, driving. Somebody else to driving, but driving his car. Oh,
2: God. Jeez. Yeah, um, that was like...
1: There,
2: there are tons of places you could go off and just, like, yep. go down forever. Right. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah, and nobody would know that you were down there. Yeah,
2: yeah for a while. Yeah. Uh, but I used to be like, oh, I'm so mad. I'm going to go drive around Mulholland. But it was also like... My ex couldn't drive, so it was kind of like, a, oh, I can drive, and I can drive myself. Like, it was a whole thing. Anyways, I can
3: drive off a
2: cliff. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to, he can't drive himself anywhere. <laughs> go live with your parents, Matt. Okay, sorry. Anyways,
3: wow. which he
2: did after we broke up, so good for him. Anyways, he's doing fine, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> and he's not on the side of a ditch. On Mulholland drive. No,
2: I think he's actually doing okay, which I'm happy for. I'm so happy. Happy. <laughs> I'm so happy for
1: you. I love it. Well, um, I Mulholland basically is credited for being the father of Los Angeles because he is the one that basically made it possible for water to be um, brought down from up north into Los Angeles to make it into the mega city that it is today. Um mm-hmm. At that time, in the late 1800s, yes, it was an important city, but it, it, it couldn't support uh, the population that they wanted to, to make the city into. Um, in estimates, as they're saying, in 1890, there was 50,000 people living in Los Angeles. By 1900, it had doubled to 100,000, and by 1910, it was up to 320,000 people. So in what, in 20 years, it went from 350 to, sorry, it went from 50 to 320,000. So Obviously, there's a population boom. Uh, there's, there's all these people here. They need water for drinking, whatever, um, and really just no way of getting it. So Mulholland, um, Mulholland and Mayor Frederick Eaton um, from 1902 to 1905 uh, start to basically uh, figure out how they're going to get money – Or sorry, how they're going to get um, water from uh, the Sierra Nevada River in, in the Owens Valley, which is uh, up north um down to down to los angeles so they're going to build a huge aqueduct that basically siphons off all this water from from this river and this lake and bring it down to la and, and therefore uh, uh sustain the population that that uh, la is becoming to have um <clears throat> so unfortunately uh if you really delve into it i you know i'm sure if you read books on this stuff they're going to delve into the shadiness of what he did but basically it seems like this is kind of along the lines of Tia's gripes with famous people like Thomas Edison and whatnot where they're hailed as heroes but they really did some underhanded and shady shit to get to that point point. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's kind of the same story with, uh, with William Mahone. Topsy! Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, so same thing. He's, he's, um, they're using all these methods to gain water rights from the Owen Valley um, they're telling, you know, they're telling the people in Los Angeles, one thing, and then they're going up into o- the Owen Valley and they're telling those people another thing. And basically they, uh, they win. And from, um, from 1907 to 1913, they start building the LA aqueduct, which is 233 miles long, by the way.
0: That's crazy.
1: So, uh, came in, came in, um, under budget, uh, under, uh, under the expected time. So he's, he's really, you know, he's, he's very quick. He's very, he's working very fast. Um, and again, these, these, um, these, the way that they got the water was really underhanded. And again, I don't, I didn't go into super detail reading how, you know, the kind of campaigns that he had to run to get these things, but basically he's stealing water from, from all these farmers up North who have a really great thing going on. And he's just like, yeah, I'm gonna take all this water here, and and we need it now. And they're like, well, what about our crops? And he's kind of like, well, we have Los Angeles to take care of now, so it's not, you know, that's not your problem anymore. And they slowly, you know, get these rights to it. And then when they finally get rights to it, then then the investors want more water, and so they go back in and they basically siphon off the entire lake uh, out of Owens Valley. Now, obviously, these farmers are, are pissed, and they're trying to fight against, you know, all these big wigs from Los Angeles, and they're just poor farm, You know, they're farmers up at North. They're not anywhere near the city. Uh, they're kind of in the go-between, and um, they, they start resorting to uh, um, sabotage. They're, they're blowing up dams, and they're trying to stop the aqueduct from being made. So they're really doing their best to kind of fight these big corporations coming in and just taking their water. <laughs> Uh, if you go to the uh, to the lake um, in Owens Valley, it's now a, 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 just a dry lake bed. There's no water there. So L.A. took all of that. By 19, 19, 1915, all, pretty much all the water was gone. Wow. Jeez. So they really just kind of went in, bullied their way in, said, yeah, we're taking this too bad. And that was it. Um, hooray for L.A. Sorry, people in Owens Valley. Um, so they uh, – they start working on other projects. Um, uh, but, um, a lot of reports came back that William Mulholland becomes kind of conceited, uh, because he has all these major projects because he's involved with them. Uh, a lot of people were saying that like, he, he doesn't take criticism at all. He balks at it. He doesn't want to hear it. Um, kind of like, I know what I'm doing. So leave me alone kind of thing. Um, he receives a lot of criticism from the sloppiness of his work. (laughs) um, they said that there's some damage to the dam at the Cal. Uh, they have a um, a dam called the Calaveras Reservoir, which is funny because that's Calaveras is skulls in Spanish,
3: mm-hmm. so it's the yeah. Skull Reservoir.
1: Which I thought was interesting. Um, but from 1914 to 1924, uh, water demands um, from the uh, from the uh, from the Owens Owens Lake basically dries it up, and that's when the farmers are all starting to rebel. So that's about 1924. Okay, so he has all these he has all these dams uh, worked out throughout Los Angeles. I think he had four to five dams um, built to to build up these reservoirs to to save all or to to hold all this water in uh, in place for Los Angeles in case of emergencies. Um, One of his dams that he built is called the St. Francis Dam. Oh yeah. And uh, this dam is located uh, just a few miles north of where Six Flags is. Um, so that's thinking about that, that area. You know, you got all those mountains and stuff. Yeah. When, you, when you go north uh, to San Francisco, you have to drive over through all those mountains and stuff.
2: For uh, our viewers who don't, who aren't from here and don't go to Six Flags as regularly as we do, it's up in Santa Clarita. It's just slightly like 30 minutes north of Hollywood.
3: It's like call. a higher elevation.
2: Yeah. Good call. But um, get your annual pass because
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's worth it. It, it is totally. Great, great park. Plug for Six Flags. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so they built this uh, uh, um, giant uh, dam there, and um, it's completed in 1926. It only took two years to make. They did a very uh, very quick job on it. Um, It's located in the San San Francisco Canyon. Um, So anyways, um, they build a dam. uh, They fill it up with water, uh, and it takes about a year to fill or something like that. And then um, uh, about March 6th or so of 1928, they fill the dam to capacity, which is uh, 12.5 billion gallons of water. So... It's filled up completely and it's ready to go and has has the water basically there in case uh, it has about a year's supply worth of water for Los Angeles. Uh, so on um, March 12th, uh, an inspector calls and says that um, there's some leaking around the dam and he reports that basically the water is coming out muddy. Now, if the water comes out muddy, that's a bad sign because it means that uh, it's mixing and it means that the, 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 base of the dam is not, you know, is not embedded into the ground correctly. And so that's why he's called. So, uh, on March 12th, 1928, uh, William Mulholland and his assistant chief engineer, Harvey van Norman, uh, come and inspect the St. Francis dam. And, uh, they see that cracks and leaks are observed, and, but they're dismissed as normal. Um, and it's, it's, it's inspected and deemed safe. Uh, so he leaves and, um, at 11:57 PM of the same day, uh, uh, the walls of the, the walls on the sides of the Canyon that are holding the dam in place, um, are not, um, are not structurally sound to hold the dam and all that pressure. Uh, this is the mistake that they didn't understand. They, they thought the land was more, uh, solid, and it wasn't. And so the, the pressure against the uh, against the not necessarily the dam itself, but the sand and the rocks and stuff holding it in place finally gives way. And the dam bursts. Twelve point four billion gallons of water fly out and come f- um, just flooding down this canyon um, with a let me see here. Uh 140 foot wall of water That's wild, yeah. moving at 18 to 20 miles per hour comes flying down this wall down in this canyon. Now the man that actually called and I, I'm sorry, I did not write his name down, but the man that actually called, uh, William Holland just to, to inspect the dam. He was the guy that kind of was living there, uh, to make sure that the dam was working correctly and stuff. He was one of the first people to get killed. Him and his family are immediately killed, uh, because they're in such close proximity to the dam itself. um, the dam comes flying down, I'm sorry, the water comes flying down the canyon, and uh, one of the first things it hits is, uh, uh, there's a power plant number two uh, that is um, stationed in one of the valleys, and it has um, 67 workers and family members living in that. That is demolished within seconds and kills 64 of the 67 people living inside there. Mm. Um, Again, uh, 160, or sorry, 140-foot wall, comes flying down. Now, again, because this is in a canyon, it's very narrow. Um, but as it empties into the Santa Clara Riverbed, um, it floods Valencia and Newhall. Um, by this point, the, the, the water is about two miles wide. Um, and slowing down, it's moving about five miles per hour when it arrives uh, near uh, Montalvo, uh, which is near the ocean, about 54 miles away from the dam. So um, it took almost five hours for it to... to from, from start to finish hitting into the ocean. Um, but, uh, as it, uh, as it happened, it basically flooded Fillmore, uh, Santa Paula and Castaic. Um, Santa Paula was the worst hit. Um, but it, it just, as uh, you know, as you can imagine, as this is washing down, it's just taking out telephone poles, wires, barbed wire, farm animals, people, Giant, giant chunks of the concrete from the dam have now been moved down miles down the down, and um, it's just not stopping. There was no warning system in place. Um, when it it went off, uh, people I was watching, there's actually interviews of people on YouTube that were still alive in the 80s that were kind of uh, interviewed about it, and they were saying that they would be standing on the road and they could hear the the roar of the water coming down. Um, but uh, police officer, uh, Police stations were calling towns ahead of the flood to warn them, and then other police officers were racing on their motorcycles to warn to warn them, trying to beat the flood. Um, but basically, once it empties into the into the ocean, um, by the time by the time it empties out into the ocean, there's about 431 people, um, and and maybe up to upwards of 600 people uh, in that flood and washed out into the ocean. Uh, they find bodies over by Catalina Island. Um, they find bodies – some reports said as far down as the Mexican border, um, but, but definitely as far as Oxnard, which is very far down. Wow. Um, so, so, I mean, it, it, it was a catastrophe. It washed all these bodies out into the ocean, all these cattle, destroyed <clears throat> lots of fertile land that was used for, uh, you know, for farming and um, all that. So that, all that was destroyed. And, uh, just, just annihilated. So they estimated at about 430, 431 deaths, but they think it could be as high as 600 because there was a lot of illegal immigrants working yeah, on these farms, a lot good. of migrants, a lot of people that were just not accounted for, uh, bodies were never found. Um, you know, when they came in to help everybody, of course, there was all this mud everywhere. So they couldn't get through anything. It was just a total, total disaster. Um, let me see here. Mulholland. Uh, what happens to him? He takes full responsibility. Uh, he he says to the newspapers, "I am one hundred percent to blame on this. I will not try and blame, put pin this on anyone else. Absolutely, my bad." Uh, but there's no there's no repercussions from it. He doesn't go to he doesn't go to jail. He doesn't go to court or anything like that. Um, but as a result, he basically just secludes himself and and is basically never seen again. I mean, he is, but he's just secluded himself. Um, he does. Do some consultation on a couple of, of a couple of other dams, um, including the Hoover Dam. Um, he uh, he started an autobiography about himself, but he never finished it. And then he has a stroke in 1935 uh, and dies. And also is buried in the Forest Lawn in Glendale, Forest Lawn Cemetery in Glendale. So massive, massive um, destruction. Um, it's the middle of the night. It's midnight when, as soon as the dam breaks it, it immediately kills all the power when it hits the power station. So now it's pitch black and there's this wall of water that just slams into you. So you can imagine the chaos and destruction that is going on in in this, you know, uh, valley at midnight or one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning. Um, it is considered the worst natural, sorry, the worst man-made disaster of the 19th century. Um, and a lot of times they said either in, either in California, but a lot of times it's stated as in, at the time of the 19th century in the world. Um, but definitely in California state history, the worst man-made disaster. Oh yeah. Now to this day, you can still go up to the area. Um, if you look on YouTube, you can find people that, that take tours of it. So you, there's actually a road that leads up to the dam. Um, when the dam broke, there was a large column of the center of the dam that stood erect, um, even after everything came flooding down. Um, but they said uh, that they destroyed that because, one, they didn't want to be reminded of it, and two, it was for, you know, for safety. So they dynamited ch- big chunks of the, the dam that had flooded down the river, and actually you can still see some of those chunks today. Um, they look like natural landscape, but if you look closely, you can tell that it's not— real rocket cement. Um, and when you get up there, there's, it, it's from, from the videos that I saw, it's, it's very difficult to see where everything is, but if you know what to look for, then it, then you can find it you know, pretty easily. Uh, but if you don't know what you're looking for, it's all, you know, it's all overgrown. This is 1935. So, mm. you know, it's been, a, it's been almost a hundred years. So most of it is overgrown with you know rock and stuff again they, they demolished most of the big pieces but again there are pieces down down the riverbed that you can see uh, to this day so if you ever feel like climbing all the way up there um there's a there's a another power plant built and there's a little memorial and a plaque and stuff there uh that you can look at and then if you feel like taking a creepy hike up an abandoned road um then uh, you can get up there so pretty interesting stuff that's
0: oh. crazy
2: well, we always yeah. feel like taking creepy
0: hikes
1: of abandoned roads. So. Those are the best. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> it, it seemed interesting. Um, when they went, there was one area of the road that was actually flooded, but they were. It looked like they were going in in like springtime, and so I would guess that if you went like now, it would it would be all dry. There wouldn't be a lot of water up there, so it probably would be a little bit easier to get to um, than it was for them. Uh, but yeah, I would I would certainly be interested. That's a very uh, very interesting, um, like just just the way the land is and stuff. It's very interesting up there. So it'd be kind of neat to take a walk up there and just see where this unfortunate uh, destruction happened. But I, yeah. I can only imagine what that was like. Yeah, scary, scary stuff.
0: Hmm.
2: Yeah. Crazy. I remember when, like, I was reading about this that, like, there was like a woman on top of her mattress with her with her chicken, <laughs> and she was like <laughs> naked. And, like, that's, like, the desperation of these people. Like, the water came and flooded their house, and she was able to float on her mattress, and she was, like, gripping this chicken that, like, that's just how chaotic it was, you know? Like, here's this live being. I'm going to hold on to it, and, like, what's going on, you know? Like, there's no time to get dressed. There's no time for anything, like. No, no. Yeah. Insan- insanity, you know, and you're you're lucky that you and your chicken are alive, you know, because so <laughs> so many other people were wiped out,
1: you know. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. I You know, I, in the dark and just this wall of water, they said the power plant was crushed like an eggshell. You know, I mean, like I just it's it's hard to fathom twelve point five billion gallons of water
2: and two miles. At
1: least. What's that?
2: Two miles of water. Right?
1: Yeah. Is what uh, you said. It, took, no,
0: it was like way longer, right? Yeah, know. it was like it was it went on for like five hours. Th- well it was right?
1: two miles wide when wide. it opened up wide. it was okay. two miles
0: wide. I see um but cool. it
1: went it took it, it was fifty four it traveled fifty four miles. Jesus Christ. So I mean that's a lot of freaking water, you know? Um obviously the further down the road the impact is less severe because it's had time to spread out and slow down. But I mean you're still you know, dealing with feet of water come flooding in through your, you know, to your house or whatever, right. um, you know, that's, that's some scary stuff. So, um, and you know, we, we talked, I told you about that story, uh, in Pennsylvania where, you know, all this barbed wire is mixed up in the river water and it's like, I, I can't even imagine that stuff wrapping around you and, you know, telephone wires and all this other stuff, just all this debris in the water is just flying everywhere. Yeah. So pretty crazy stuff. That's wild. So yeah, you ever want to take a trip up north, just go past Valencia there, and uh, uh, you can you can find your way up there. Yeah. You know, have to do that
0: sometime.
2: Yeah, my mom told me a lot about this story. That's why I signed it uh, to you because, like,
1: we also uh, said that it was on Drunk History, correct? It was on Drunk History.
2: Jack History. Black plays Mulholland.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, my my point of pointing out that that thing about him being self-taught was I just thought that was very interesting that they put so much faith in a guy who basically learned himself. Like, you know, I I thought that was very interesting that to, to put, you know, to, and he he was very well celebrated. I mean, like he, there wasn't any other major issues that he had other than this one thing, but obviously this was, uh, you know, a major blunder on his part. And, uh, it was just interesting to me that even after the fact that this happened and even after the fact that he was never had a a formal education with it, that they were still like, well, let's check out the Hoover Dam and see what you think, you know? Mm -mm, Um, mm -mm. obviously he was only a consultant on it, so it wasn't a big deal, but at at the same time, it's like, I don't want that guy anywhere near my dam. So
2: (laughs) in my opinion, there are a few, uh, professions that shouldn't be self-taught and engineer, Mm -hmm. Engineer, oh, damn, you so know, damn. uh, medical professionals,
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> certain sure. things, you, a dentist for you, dentist. <laughs> you know,
2: certain things shouldn't be self-taught, you know, sure. like,
3: Driving. you
2: know, self-taught, you know, like my profession, smoothie maker, you know, That's right now, right. like I could teach myself how to make smoothies. You're um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. Pretty crazy. So I'm going to, I'd like to go back and watch Chinatown just to see how kind of some of that stuff meshes up with the whole, you know, taking the water from up North and everything. But, um, yeah, I mean, without, without him doing the things that he did do, uh, you know, it would, the, the city wouldn't know or be near the size it is today. They, they we would, we wouldn't have been able to survive. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't have been. No one would have moved here. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Know you know, way. and it's funny, you know, it also made me think of the fact that, you know, we do all these stories about people in Los Angeles and it's, it's, Interesting how we celebrate these people, yet when you go back, you know, we talked about uh, Griffith J. Griffith, how he shot his wife in the face, yet he has a statue and a park and all this other stuff named after him. Here we are, we we named Mulholland Drive and all this other stuff, Mulholland got his, you know, there's a park over by by Griffith Park. There's a little uh, big fountain there dedicated to Mulholland. And yes, he did important stuff, but at the same time, he also caused the death of 600 people. When he was there that day to inspect the freaking dam, you know, it was like, nah, it's fine. It's cool. We're good.
2: We're good. It's cool. I taught myself how to do this. <laughs> yeah.
1: Those are pressure oh, leaks. Cool. It'll be fine. I'm pretty so. sure.
0: Yeah.
1: So, um, yeah, so it, it's interesting that we, uh, we celebrate these people, even though there's a lot of, you know, horrible things that happened as well as what they, the good things they did. Yeah. You know? Well, so that's,
2: that's that underbelly of Tinseltown we talk about. There you
1: go. That's it. <laughs> Celebrate those that have done done wrong.
2: Okay. I'm going to just go into it. Are you guys ready?
1: Oh. Awesome. Oh,
0: I'm ready. Oh, the cat's ready. Right? Susie's Did you ready. Yeah, yeah. She's like, <laughs> meep.
2: Check. Please leave that cat meow in.
0: Uh, of course, yeah. yeah.
2: Um. All right, cool. So um, last week I announced that we I was going to do the fire at the Beverly Hills Supper Club. Um, I didn't really do a lot of research uh, prior to announcing it. I probably should have. Uh, I knew it was this catastrophic fire, but when I saw the word Beverly Hills, I assumed Hollywood, because why would I not? Uh, But honestly, like if I see the word Hollywood, I shouldn't always assume that it's in California either because there's Hollywood, Florida. So apparently there is Beverly Hills in Southgate, Kentucky as well. Or at least the title of this supper club or the name of the supper club was Beverly Hills. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: So this is not the Beverly Hills of Hollywood. This is uh, in Kentucky. Uh, But honestly, the story is so compelling and interesting and devastating that, um, I still felt like I should still do it. Like I was like, Oh, this is such a good story. Like too bad. It's not in Hollywood, you know, but I was like, you know what, let's just do it anyways. You know, like it's, you'll see, you'll enjoy it once (laughs) I'm done. Guaranteed. Um, cool. Cool. Any questions before I get started? Anything you want to say? Oh, uh,
0: well, I was thinking about it. <laughs> uh, the Beverly Hills thing, like, Beverly Hills was just so iconic back then that, like, I'll bet there was, like, the Beverly Hills Massage Parlor in Alabama or something, you know? Or oh, Beverly easily. Hills Nails or something like that, you know? Like, I feel like, Ugh oh, oh. Uh you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like that's... And then Hollywood, too. I'll bet there was, like, Hollywood movie theaters oh 100 like you know like a random state in the midwest or something i don't know
2: there's still planet there's planet hollywood which is everywhere oh that's true yeah planet as hollywood. well <laughs> so uh easily yeah so easily so it's not surprising that they named it the beverly hills supper club uh okay so it evokes
1: glamour right what's that it evokes glam the word like it evokes glamour movie stars, famous,
0: you know? Right, yeah. I would immediately think, you know, spray tan place, salon, flower, you know, you could go go several different business videos with that. Well, (laughs) yeah.
2: Well, in the 1930s, when it was built, it was definitely, uh, that was the whole feeling, was to invoke this sort of high-class, swanky uh, place. So, anyways, let's get into it. Let's do it. Got it, okay. So... Built in 1937 in Southgate, Kentucky. (laughs) Um, uh, So the Beverly Hills uh, Supper Club was opened by a gentleman named Pete Schmidt. uh, And almost immediately after opening it, the mob decided that they were going to take over this building because it was a swanky club, you know... um, and that's kind of what they do. They're like, hey, we're going to conduct business here. And, you know, you either say yes or you get what I guess is coming to you. Sleep
0: with so, the fishes.
2: Yeah. So they were refusing to sell out like other clubs had done. And the mob burned this place down on February 3rd, 1936, uh, killing the niece of the property's caretaker. Um, but this isn't quite the story I'm going to get into quite yet. So it is rebuilt, uh, in the late, uh, fifties and sixties. Uh, oh, sorry. It is rebuilt in the 1940s. It becomes a high class supper club, uh, which entertained people such as Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, uh, and. They had many celebrity entertainers from all over America, from Las Vegas, from Tennessee, from Hollywood. So uh, in the late 50s and 60s, there was some hardship. Northern Kentucky, on the Northern Kentucky nightclub scene when Sheriff George W. Ratterman, that guy, uh, set out to clean up the area. So Kentucky nightclubs and casino lost the mob protection that their gambling operations had once enjoyed. And without the casino revenue, the Beverly Hills Supper Club could not sustain itself. And the original club closed in 1961. However, it was again reopened in 1969 under a new owner, Richard Schilling. Um, He also owned several other clubs. After this club, he went on to create other clubs. Uh, he spent over three million in renovations on this club.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. so it went through some uh, expansions uh, of the original space. They were kind of haphazardly built onto the original space, uh, instead of like creating it. Uh, how do I explain it? Instead of like building it with some sort of uh, Plan. It kind of looks like they just piled on buildings onto the original building around it. Oh,
0: really?
2: So, uh, there were many banquet halls added on, uh, dining rooms, showrooms. It contained a hall of mirrors, walls lined with oil paintings, ceilings with crystal chandeliers, red carpeted floors... And a grand staircase. Wait, um, wait,
0: wait. The Hall of Mirrors?
2: Hall of Mirrors, yeah.
0: What is, is that just like a hall with just nothing but mirrors? I
2: mean, honestly, it's probably a hallway with a bunch of mirrors oh, okay, on
0: okay. it. Um, I, I want one of those.
2: Well, yeah, it was, okay. I,
1: it wasn't a house of mirrors or anything
2: like no, that. No, I don't think so. Uh, I, you know, uh, you'll see. It's way, it's
1: on a roller coaster. It's a <laughs>
2: You'll see, well, maybe why that wasn't exactly very safe or a good idea. Oh, so.
1: no. oh, no. And I have a question. Why is it always that red carpet is the fancy carpet? Why does it always have to be red? And
2: you're like, ooh. 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 Well, it's that's Beverly true, Hills. Yeah. It's Hollywood. Oh, you know. that's
0: true, yeah. I don't is. know.
2: I, I don't know. Fun yeah. fact, for the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, premiere, they actually had a purple carpet.
0: Hmm.
2: So it's not always a red carpet, but,
0: you know. But, but that's interesting. I mean, I, I always thought it came from the red curtain you know, and I think that's been in theater for a long time. Maybe. I wonder if the red red is
1: associated with, like, good luck or something like that.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, the red thing that we see now in, like, that I'm talking about in theater back then is, like, also from movies that I watched that were made now about theater back
1: then. Because, I mean, they have the red carpet at the premiere, which is, like, just, like, a strip to walk on, but, I mean, like, when you have red carpeting in in a restaurant and all that, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm always confused about, like, why is the red carpet the... the I don't the, know. The, the, we're making it. Like, I'm reading a book right now, and they were talking about... It's, it's uh, like, about Parliament in, in England, and same thing, they had red carpet, and they were, like, showing off, like, this is really top-notch stuff here, people.
2: Uh, it could have had to do with how expensive the dye is, which is why okay. purple is usually royalty. I'm, I'm not sure. sure. We'll have to look that one up. It's a good one. Anyway, yes. so they put tons of expansions onto this place. However... Uh, during the renovations, uh, there was a little accident, uh, because Richard Schilling wouldn't take on the mob as partners, they set fire to this place yet again in the middle of remodeling on June 21st, 1970. Um, however, uh, he was not discouraged. Schilling finished the renovations and opened what became the most successful dinner theater in the entire Midwest so it operated so this was you know after 1970 in the fire they rebuilt they opened and it operated for several years um now with the renovations they did make um make the building out of what was quote unquote uh non-combustible materials but like i said there was like lush decorations carpet wood paneling Uh, curtains uh, and they also didn't install a sprinkler system or smoke alarms because this was not uh, this was not a requirement of the time Uh, and some of the larger event spaces had no immediate exit to outdoors so they kind of like attached rooms onto other rooms so when you would exit one room you would just go into another room so uh
0: that's great. I yeah. was looking at uh, some pictures of it uh, the other day. Yeah. Um, or yesterday, when we were looking at it, and uh, that was. some of those rooms were huge, too. Yeah. So it's crazy that you'd be running through a big room to get to another big room. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then be like, oh, great.
2: So, okay. So, on Saturday, May 28th, 1977, John Davidson was the entertainer for the night. Uh, The club was filled to capacity and beyond. Uh, John Davidson was performing in the cabaret room, which was one of the larger event spaces there. Every seat was full. The ramps and the aisles were full as well. The room's limit was about 600 people. I've seen 615, 600 and so. Uh, But uh, testimony afterwards, from some of the witnesses and survivors, say that there may have been upwards of 1,300 people in that room at the time.
0: Jesus.
1: More than double the capacity.
2: Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, There were other events going on in other areas of the Supper Club, and there was estimated around 3,000 people in the entire building, which is two times what their capacity would have allowed. So... The fire began around 9 p.m. in the zebra room, which is a small event space kind of on the edge of the building. So the zebra room would have had an exit out uh, outside because they did share a wall with outside, but many of the other rooms, including the cabaret room, didn't have immediate exits to outside. So at 830, there was a wedding being held in the zebra room, but the guests decided that they were going to leave early around 9 o'clock because they were uh, complaining that the heat was way too high in the room and there was a lot of strange noises, banging and popping noises uh, happening in the room. So they decided they they were going to leave. Jeez. Um, It is believed that faulty wiring in the ceiling had started a small fire. Um, The guests left the zebra room and the fire burned quietly till around 9 p.m., so I'm sorry they left at
0: eight thirty, so. Uh, and the fire's just in the roof burning, just. Yeah. Okay, so no one can eat. Oh God.
2: For about a half an hour, um, then an employee smelled smoke around nine p.m. and opened the door to the zebra room, letting oxygen into the room. So as you know, when oxygen. The room... Like, if you've seen Backdraft... I was just about to say, yeah, (laughs) Backdraft, yeah. If you've seen (laughs) Backdraft, if you haven't seen Backdraft, watch Backdraft, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, But fire lives... Fire breathes. It consumes oxygen, and it'll spread with oxygen. If it doesn't have oxygen, it will go out. So the fire was contained, more or less, until this employee... Open the door. But if I smelled smoke, I would open the door, too, to see what was going on. Right. So they, they opened the door. This did, yeah, two things. It put oxygen into the room, but it also made the employees aware that there was a fire going on. So the fire department is called around 9.01 p.m. Uh, the employees, as many of them could, grabbed fire extinguishers and did what they could to attempt to put out the flames. Um but it was continuing to burn at 9.05 p.m. Uh, that is when the fire department got there. So it took them less than four minutes to get there. Wow. But smoke was already pouring out of the building. With no fire alarms or sprinkler system throughout the building, it was up to the employees to run from room to room to tell people to evacuate. Uh, now, what are you going to believe? Are you going to believe an employee going, hey, there's a fire, you need to get out, or are you going to believe an alarm system? So, uh, unfortunately, many of the employees weren't taken seriously. And also, like, nowadays we might take stuff a little more seriously because we've had situations like this happen, and the media does kind of, um, sorry, Susie's really into my story right now. Yeah. The media kind of shows us, you know, we see disasters and things on TV quite a bit. In the 70s, that, you know, may not have been a thing. And I feel like, you know, rules and stuff were kind of lax back then. So, you know, when a waiter's like, hey, we have a small fire in the kitchen. Everyone needs to evacuate. A lot of the guests were like, well, I paid good money to be here. You know, let them handle it. I'm going to stay put.
0: Just a cigarette, kid. Go sit down.
2: Yeah. And you know, many of these uh, people believe that it was just a small fire in the kitchen and that it would be handled. So, uh, yeah. So at nine o six p.m., busboy Walter Bailey arrived in the cabaret room with news of the fire. Uh, the supervisors w- didn't want to interrupt the warm up act on stage. Uh, it was the act before. Oh, sorry, before. What was it, John Davidson? So they, he hadn't even gotten on stage yet. So many of the people sitting there were like, hey, we came to see John Davidson. He hadn't even arrived. He hasn't even arrived yet or gone up yet. We're not leaving. So the supervisors didn't want to cut the act, but busboy Walter Bailey was like, no, this is serious. And even though he suffered from stage fright, he jumped onto the stage took the microphone, and told everyone it is time to evacuate. You guys got to get out. Good job,
0: Walter.
2: Yeah. Unfortunately, only a few people left the room. Only a few people believed him. Most people decided that they were going to stay put. Uh, Or at least, you know, in all fairness, you know, if someone had said that, it would take me a couple minutes to decide what I was going to do, you know, uh, so, it was only four minutes before the fire reached the cabaret room. So, even if these people didn't leave immediately, they, it was four minutes. Like, they had four minutes to
0: get out, and... I mean, have you ever been, like, in a room that, like, you know, like, auditioning, you know, at a big place or something, and, you know, you have to leave the room to go on a break, you know, and yeah. takes... To... Two, it, takes minutes. Takes it takes like some three time. minutes just to walk out. Yeah. 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 So yeah, there is no time.
2: So uh, yeah, at 910, the fire started to... Uh, th- so at 910, the fire shorted out the power to the building. So this is when the, pa- the patrons knew that uh, Walter Bailey was actually serious and that they needed to leave. But this also caused the patrons to go into a panic. So they push towards the exits uh, that quickly became blocked with bodies. So there's only two of the exits were blocked by fire. Uh, So there was really only one exit that they could get out of. Um, Here's a quote from uh, uh, Bruce Rath, Fort Thomas volunteer fire. He says, "Uh, when I got to the inside doors, which is about thirty feet inside the building. I saw these big double doors, and people were stacked like cordwood.
0: Jesus.
2: They were clear up to the top. They just kept diving out on each other, trying to get out. I looked back over. I looked back over the pile of. Uh, it wasn't dead people. There were dead and alive in that pile, and I went in and I just started to grab them two at a time, and pull them off the stack and drag them out. Jesus. So, um... So, people were scrambling over bodies, dead and alive, to get out of the exit, um... Some of the people were able to exit. However, like I said, there is a hall of mirrors here and there are rooms that don't lead to any exit. So some people did get lost in uh, in the labyrinth of these rooms at the supper club. Uh, Around 11.30 PM, believing that the roof was about to collapse, uh, fire command ordered all firefighters to retreat out of the building. And at midnight, the roof imploded the smoldering uh, wreckage burned for two whole days Jeez. yeah so uh so in the morning the building continued to burn until May 30th two days after the fire began by the early morning of May 28th 134 bodies had been removed from the building and laid out initially on the hillside surrounding the building and then in a makeshift morgue inside the nearby fort thomas armory by the end of june 1st uh 28 more bodies had been discovered bringing the death toll up to 162. all but two of the dead were found uh, in and around the cabaret room with 125 clustered near the room's north exit and another 34 at the room's southern exit. Two bodies were removed from the Viennese room. A small number of fire victims died after being rescued from the scene. One on June 25th, one on July 2nd, and the last on March 1st, 1978, nearly a year after the fire. This brought the number of verified deaths to 165. Uh, she, she plays the villain.
1: Uh, Sorry, what show we were you talking about again? Sir? Lost, in, Lost Space. in Space. Oh, okay, the, the new one. Right, right, right. Yeah, I forgot they redid that. I didn't see the. I didn't watch it. They only did one season, right?
0: Maybe. Um. Not that's th- that I know of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: All right. Uh. So I'm just gonna take it from my last sentence. Go for it. Um. Okay. So this brought the number of verified deaths to 165. Wow. So. Obviously, after this, there was an investigation launched. Uh, For a while, it was, you know, did seem like this could have been the mob lighting it on, like, lighting the club on fire for a third time. Um,
0: Right, yeah.
2: (laughs) But there really wasn't much evidence pointing towards that. The only evidence there was was an employee's testimony saying that uh, the day of the fire they saw... Random maintenance men that they had never seen before uh, entering the building. Hmm. So, but that was honestly that was not really investigated as far as I could tell. So it was kind of sounds like a mob thing. Yeah, it was kind of dismissed.
1: (laughs) Um, But even still, Fat Tony showed up to to, to (laughs) fix the air conditioning. They said, Yeah. Uh,
2: Even still, (laughs) like. There was a lot that caused this to happen, you know?
0: Well, it whether whatever started it, it was definitely like a fire waiting to happen anyway. Uh,
2: like the
0: building itself, the materials.
2: Yeah, I mean, so there was an investigation that was launched. Uh, it was found that... Uh, there was an absence of alar- alarm systems, no firewalls, an abundance of flammable material in the building, no sprinklers, no, and no uh, employee training, and overcrowding was also to blame. Uh, previous guests to the supper club, Beverly Hills Supper Club, uh, gave testimony that the cabaret room was often overcrowded uh, with people that waitresses couldn't even get to the patrons to serve drinks. Oh, um yeah <laughs> uh three top fire officials were suspended and accused of giving improper fire investigations um and a number of lawsuits were filed uh from the families of the victims and it all uh, accumulated accumulated to one class action lawsuit that was filed against General Electric the company that made the faulty wiring uh and there was a 10 million dollar settlement so um since this fire more regulations have been put into place on uh buildings there is definitely a fire code that large buildings and event spaces have to follow now that so that is something that is good that came out of this uh the site remained generally undeveloped for uh many many years it was just purchased in 2020 Uh, The city was planning on building an entertainment complex with a fountain memorial uh, where the cabaret room would have been uh, with the names of the victims. However, as of now, with the pandemic and everything, I'm not really sure where they're at with that. I couldn't really find much on what's going on Mm -hmm. with the building. Um, But that is it. That is the story of the Beverly Hills. Supper Club in Southgate, Kentucky, with our hero, Walter Bailey. (laughs) Give it up
0: for Walter. Walter. He did his best, you know? Hey, what's next? All right, all
2: right, assignments, guys. Okay, so Pat's taking a break for next week because he's burnt out, and he's got editing of these, you know... Wonderful podcast that we do. <laughs> I'm going
3: so, for tangents.
2: Uh, just what so happens, Roxana's here. So, we can give her uh, the assignment. And I know I texted you guys about this earlier, but just act like you're surprised okay. right now when I give it to you. So, Roxana is going to yes. tell us about Ed and Lorraine Warren Woo-hoo! and <gasps> uh, their wonderful, very adorable Raggedy Ann doll yeah. that is in their museum. Oh. Uh, known as Annabelle, who is quite famous. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, Did
2: a couple movies about her. A couple movies about her, a few. Uh, Jameson, you're gonna do another famous doll that uh, I know you're a little familiar with uh, called Robert, and that's all I'm gonna say, mm-hmm. who has a movie about him as well, I think, right?
1: Ah, uh, I don't know if it's called, I don't know if it's about him, but I mean, it's probably like a knockoff, like Annabelle is. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, it's, yeah, it's, It um, does not look like the real one. Yeah.
3: Yeah. What's
0: it called? Uh, Chucky. No. Well, but, <laughs> no, wait, but... <laughs> but I want
2: to say Chucky is loosely based on the, the... I mean,
0: Robert the Doll was one of the first stories of that, or the first haunting film. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, but don't give away too much.
0: No, oh, yeah, Ro-
2: Robert's story is one of my favorite, um, I would... I would love to have that as my subject, but I feel like I'm I'm gonna let that one go free. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> well, I'm interested to hear about the Raggedy Ann doll because I, I'm from Hartford, Connecticut, and that's where that story uh, originated, if I'm not mistaken, was that area. So I'm I'm interested to hear about that. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, because I didn't gone. even hear about that story. You know, growing up in Connecticut, my friend was like, you never heard that? And I was like, I, nobody ever told me that story. I've never heard anything about a killer raggedy and all or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was definitely interested. I think, you know, I, when, when the Conjuring movies came up, that's when, I, that's when I first heard about it. And was like, what? <laughs> I've never heard. I mean, that's, that's a tale you would think everyone would know if you're from that state or that area, you know? Yeah,
3: I mean, I first actually heard about uh, Ed and Lorraine when I read a demonology book when I was in high school spoiler alert I was not popular what (laughs) but that's when I first uh kind of was introduced to them and their that room where they have all of that cursed and haunted stuff so um that's crazy that here I am in California in high school And I'm hearing
1: about this stuff happening in Connecticut. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know about the Lorraines. I mean, I, you know, my parents weren't into horror, so they didn't, they didn't feast on that stuff at all. But, you know, as I got into it, I'm surprised that I didn't hear any kind of stories as far as those, because they they lived in Connecticut. Their house is in Connecticut. And, you know, at times you could even go and visit their house. And again, none of that stuff was, was known to me until the Conjuring movies. So I was very surprised Mm -hmm. to hear all of this stuff. And I'd be like, what? This is all in Connecticut? Yeah.
0: Like, wait a minute, this is my house. Yeah. <laughs> wait, you mean Grammy and Grampy is
1: Eddie Lorraine? Oh um, yeah, it was definitely interesting to to hear all that stuff and, and to I tried to go to their house and uh, there's all these like zoning issues and this and that, so it's not open to the public at all. So and oh, yeah. I think they're both dead now, right? They both passed.
3: Uh, I, I he's dead. I think she's passed recently. or Yeah, or recently. Like, the last four years, years
1: or, something, decade, or something,
3: I think. In the last decade or something.
2: Well, like I know that. she made an appearance in one of the more recent Conjuring mm-hmm. movies. but and she
3: also made an appearance in the documentary My Amityville Horror, which they talked to one of the kids who was in the house at the time.
1: Mm. Oh, wow. One of the DeFeos? Yes. One of the DeFeo children?
3: I th- yes, it was, yeah, him.
2: Yeah. Mm. But we'll get into that yeah, next we'll week. Yeah,
3: talk about that later, yeah.
2: It will be much cool. deeper. I'm
1: uh, excited to hear the story.
2: My story, actually, okay, so, like, my parents are actually into this stuff um, <laughs> a lot, which explains a lot about me. Um, <laughs> my mom bought me this magazine for my birthday, which is this week. Uh, uh, if you're listening to this, this is three weeks ago. Uh, My birthday is the day before Halloween. Roxanna is holding up the magazine that says Scary Places. And my mom was like, did you read about that island of the dolls? And I was like, I actually already know a lot about that, mom. Uh, And uh, we talked about it a little bit. So that is what I'm going to do my story on is the island of the dolls playing in with the doll theme of next week. Um, So, yeah. It'll be fun. Got
1: this. Killer dolls. Love it.
2: Yep. Nice. Yeah. I don't know if they're a killer, but, you know.
3: Um,
0: they, they're, they're, not they're, inspi- they're, yeah. they're not pleasant. They're not like, pleasant. Scary dolls? Charles, Charles Manson didn't uh, kill anybody, but he inspired people.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I think, I think dolls as a concept is just freaky. Like, you know, you'd have little kids that would come into the restaurant and plop their doll in the corner, and it's just staring at you, and you're like, uh... Yeah. Like, am, yeah I, am I supposed to Girl. like American serve Girl. the doll or something? Look okay, up
2: yeah. Blythe, Blythe the doll. That's a creepy doll, Blythe. Mm. I see people carrying around Blythe dolls. Like it's this like internet thing now, but like it's been a creepy thing for a while. But yeah, Blythe, she's weird.
1: Is I, it like B L I T H E?
2: B L Y T H E Blythe. Okay. I don't know. Is mm. yeah whatever uh dolls are cool um, i mean,
3: i played with dolls
1: but yeah some dolls can be very creepy. yeah yeah oh i see what Yeah, Yeah, they have like the big head and the creepy eyes and stuff
2: yeah but it's like been around since like the 60s and they're very expensive
1: mm. oh, no, i was gonna say these girls these dolls yeah these dolls are going for 720 dollars 850 dollars. like holy crap these are expensive mm. yeah. they almost look like that um they, they look like those paintings. They, they made that movie just recently. Oh, like Big remember, Eyes. That movie About the, the, yes. the painter of those. Um, the 1960s? Yeah, the 60s paintings of the kids with the huge eyes. Yep.
2: That's like a sad story on its own that maybe we should talk about a, a little bit. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Like, it says we're...
1: it was created in 1972 and initially oh. only sold for one year in the United States by Kenner. Really? Mm, that's what anyway,
2: No more doll information. That's for next week. i love it yeah awesome um but yeah robert the doll his story is one of my favorites so please do uh do it justice
1: do it justice you got it please
2: pressure Pressure. (laughs) i mean oh
1: god well, I think, you know, Tia, you and I got excited one time because I think I brought up the doll to you when, and you were really excited that I knew who Robert was because I had gone to Key West in, 13 years ago and, and went on a haunted tour of Key West and he came up in there. And so you were really excited that I knew who it was. So, yeah, I, I know you and I've had multiple conversations about how creepy that doll is. So
2: that sounds like me.
1: Yeah, so we'll definitely. uh, I'll definitely try to do my best to find as much information about this as I, and and maybe possibly recount the story that I was told about it from the from the tour guide when I was on it. Um, but I'll do my best to uh to bring to bring it justice for you.
2: Totally, Uh, I just feel for okay. So like the guy who owned Robert was also Robert Eugene Otto. I feel for his wife. Like, oh my god, just like. Look into the story and,
1: like, oh, oh I know,
2: yeah, like, <laughs> she put up with a lot. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> like, I'm she sorry, did. Pat, if you had like a doll that was like more important than me, like, that would be an issue.
1: Mm. <laughs> then like,
2: like, okay, like, I get if it's like your pet cat,
0: she didn't <laughs> mean that. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, it's just the closet. Mm-hmm.
2: Anyways, <laughs> go ahead. Outro. Got this. All right. Bye, guys.
0: Hollywood's Haunted the Podcast is the collective work of the owners and employees of Hollywood's Haunted Tours and is available on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe, like, and share, cause sharing is scaring. For more information on Hollywood's Haunted, visit our website at Hollywoodshaunted.com. If you got any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at Hollywoodshaunted at gmail.com. From uh, me, Jameson, and Tia and Roxanna, PJ
2: yeah, Roxanna, And PJ
0: Send us your emails really Hometown Hauntings really Love you haunted. Hollywood's haunted Hollywood's haunted Hollywood's haunted The podcast Hollywood's haunted Hollywood